He's actually right. Uh, Philippians 3 is, in my opinion, the best out of all four of them. They all have their own sort of character, uh, their own sort of like this, you know, Philippians 1 is this, Philippians 2 is this, 3 is this. And I think Philippians 3 has the most um, like stuff in it, I guess you would say. It's so packed with like, you could take it literally verse by verse by verse and preach like a whole 30, 45 minutes on one or two verses at a time. I don't freak out. I'm not going to do that. Um, however, I could very easily. Um, so what, what I've tried to do here is I've tried to pick out the most I want to say maybe not necessarily the most important because it's all important, but the stuff that I think is most relevant for us today. Uh, What I've tried to do is kind of go through here and pick out, okay, what is it that, that Lake Point Church needs to know? And I've done that sort of with the idea and this theme of rejoice. That's kind of the, the whole topic of Philippians. Even no matter what you go through, whether it's, or whether it's chapter one, two, three, four of Philippians, All of it sort of revolves around this idea of joy, this idea of, hey, what does it mean to be a Christ follower, and how does that look in my life, and how does following God bring me joy? And not only that, this idea of rejoicing and praising God. Pastor Frank mentioned uh, Philippians was written while Paul was in prison. And if you kind of read all four of these chapters with that idea in your back, in the back of your head, that Paul is writing all of this from prison, yet he's over here talking about how much joy he has and how we should rejoice in the Lord. If I'm in prison, that's going to be really difficult for me to do, right? So when, when we keep that in the back of our head about this whole sort of idea of Philippians, that, that Paul is in prison while he's writing this, it kind of gives it a, a stronger meaning. The fact that he's able to do this when he is probably in the worst shape of his life, yet he's writing all of this, and he's telling us who, you know, aren't in, some of us aren't in near as bad a situation as he is, and we can't even rejoice and have as much joy as he has. So that's kind of this idea that I want to follow. And also, while I was preparing for, for this chapter three, there was a, I guess, kind of like this thing that God kept laying on my heart. And I said, yeah, God, you know, I got it. I'm going to do joy and rejoicing and everything like that. But there's something that I kept coming back to. And that was this. At the end of the day, I want my life to count for something. When it's all said and done, I want my life to say, you know what? I counted for something. For, for, for my wife, I want to be able to say, you know what? My, I, I, my, my life counted for her. For my kids, my life counted for them. For, for you guys, the church, I, I did something that mattered and it counted for you. And I think this idea of, of your life counting for something, making sure that, you know, no matter what happens at the end of the day, your life, is, your life matters. You're here for a reason, right? And I think Philippians 3, as I dug through it and, you know, as God continued to just like stuff after stuff after stuff on me, I realized, you know what, Philippians 3, this idea that Paul is writing is critical for us to understand how we make our lives count. Because I think a lot of times we do it differently than we're supposed to. I think a lot of times we do stuff that that we think makes our life count, but then at the end of the day, it doesn't actually really matter. And I think Paul gives us a really good idea and a really good example in Philippians 3 about how we should live in order to make that happen. 
So I want to go ahead and kind of dive in here because I got a lot to unpack. Um, So we're going to be in Philippians 3, um, and we're just going to start in verse 1. We're going to kind of skip around a little bit, but we're going to read the bulk of the very beginning of Philippians. Um, So let's go ahead and start there. And the first little bit, we're just going to kind of take verse by verse and kind of pick it out and get the context of what's going on here. So we'll start in Philippians 3, um, verse 1. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again as it is a safeguard for you. All right, I want to stop with just verse 1 really quickly. Remember, Paul's in prison. This is his third letter. You know, this is chapter 3, so he's written 1 and 2 already. And he's saying now, he said further, meaning, hey, by the way, you know, I've already said this and this. And by the way, here we go. Let's start again. Rejoice in the Lord. Again, this is a theme that we see all throughout Philippians. And again, which is crazy, the fact that Paul is in prison. And he continues every moment he gives to say, Rejoice in the Lord, rejoice in the Lord, rejoice in the Lord. It's crazy the fact that he keeps hitting them with that. And I think it's also funny, and this kind of appeals to to the teacher in me, it is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. He's basically saying, hey, you know what? I'm telling you this over and over and over again, but it's okay. Because, and here's the reason why, Paul's being a great teacher here. Being a teacher, and not just because I teach middle school, actually it may have a lot to do with the fact that I just teach middle school, but I am constantly repeating myself over and over and over and over again to my kids. Now, some of it is because, of course, they're in middle school and they're not paying the least bit of attention, but the other thing is, is because repetition is one of the most critical things you can do for memory, for recall. The more that you kind of say over and over and over and over again the same things to, 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 the, to the kids, to my students, the more that I found they remember it. Because they're like, oh, you know what? I remember him saying it then and then and then. It must be important. It must be something that I'm going to need to remember at a later time. That's what Paul's doing here. He's saying, you know what? I'm writing you these things again to help you. Not because I've run out of material to tell you. I'm not writing these letters just because I'm bored which he might be, he's in prison, so he doesn't really have much else to do, but that's not the original reason why. He's writing these, and he's saying the same things over and over because he wants the people to understand how important all of this stuff is. He's wanting them to remember, hey, I know I've told you this two or three times already. I'm just telling you, this is going to be on the test. This is how important it is. He's being a good teacher, He's talking about repetition. He's talking about, hey, listen, this is what you need to do, and you need to remember this because it's important. So a lot of this that that we're reading here, he's already said to these people before, but again, he's just reiterating it so that way they remember. Let's go on to verse 2. He says, watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. Uh, Let's go to verse 3, 2. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit and boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. All right, if you could go back to verse 2 for me, that'd be great. So basically what Paul is doing here is he is warning um, his, his followers, he is warning Christians about this certain group of people. And that group of people at this time were called Judaizers. Um, And not to give you a whole background lesson or anything like that, but basically what these people would do is they would follow Paul around to all of the different churches and towns and places that he would go um, before he, he got in prison, obviously. And these Judaizers would go behind Paul and tell all of the people that he was preaching to, he would say, actually, that's not right. What, What Paul is telling you, Christianity is not that easy. Just following God is not that simple. And what they would try to do is put all of these laws and regulations and rules and things like that 
on, on Christianity, on Jesus, and say, it doesn't matter what he says. It's, it's really not that easy. Um, and now the fact that Paul was in prison, these Judaizers were even spreading even more and more. They were spreading around even more and more and saying, you know what, this, this, you know, you have to do this and this and this and this. It's not as easy as what Paul is telling you. So what Paul is warning the people here is saying, hey, watch out for these people. Hey, watch out for these mutilators of the flesh, these evildoers, the people who are trying to actually turn you against from what I'm telling you is the right thing. So he's basically giving out a warning here in verse two and verse three. And then in verse four, he takes it even further and he talks a little bit of biblical trash, I guess you could say. Let's go jump to verse four really quickly. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence, if someone else thinks that they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. So this is Paul basically saying, hey, if anybody else thinks they have any more reason to put confidence in their flesh than me, come at me, right? Like, yo, what's up? Bring it, bring it on. Let's go. Let's go. I promise if you go toe-to-toe, you will lose. That's basically what Paul is doing here. And what we're about to see is he's about to lay out, I think it's like five or six things that we're about to read in a minute, that Paul says, listen, I have every single reason to believe in myself more than God, but I don't. I have every single reason on this earth to believe in everything that I can do because of all that I've done and all that I have, but I don't believe in all of that because I know God is what I really put my faith in. So what he's saying here is he's saying, if anybody else believes that they're better than me, or if anybody else believes that they think they're better than God, Come talk to me because I promise you, I have more reasons than you do to not believe in God, but yet I still do. So what I want to do is um, in verses five and six, Paul lists out the reasons as to why he has all of this stuff that has happened to him, but yet he doesn't really worry about that because he believes in God. So let's go to verse five really quickly, and um, I'll, I'll kind of explain as we go, and it'll make more sense, I promise. So this is Paul giving the list of reasons why he should not believe in God. The reasons why he should believe in himself more than he should believe in God. And here's what he says. He said he was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church as righteousness based on the law, faultless. All right, let's go back to verse five and we'll break this down. I know I'm moving kind of quickly. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin. That's huge. Why would he mention the fact that he's of the tribe of Benjamin? The tribe of Benjamin was actually the most wealthy of all of the tribes of Israel. What he's talking about here is his family heritage. What he's talking about here is basically his social status. He was in a very high social status. His tribe had a lot of money. Um, the land that his tribe had was actually where like the temple was built. So um, they had like social status as well as wealth. So he, can't, he comes from a very wealthy family, Paul does. And that's what he's saying here. He's saying, look, I, I don't come from nothing. I, I didn't believe in God because I didn't have any other choice because I was like, God help me because I'm poor. That was not Paul. Paul was very wealthy. Paul was very well off. He was very well respected. His family was the tribe of Benjamin. It also says he was a Hebrew of Hebrews, meaning like the, the epitome of what a Hebrew person, a Hebrew man is supposed to do, he did it. He was known for being the person to go to when any, there was any questions about if somebody was a Hebrew or not, he was the person they would go to. And it says in regard to the law, a Pharisee, 
Pharisees at the time knew everything there was to know about the Bible. They knew every verse. They knew everything it taught. That was Paul. Paul knew everything there was to know. He had all of the biblical knowledge in the world. As for zeal, persecuting the church in the next verse, um, righteousness based on the law, faultless. By the letter of the law, Paul was faultless. And we're talking about the old Jewish law here. Um, He was faultless. He followed all of the Jewish laws. He did everything that he was supposed to do. He was basically the perfect moral person. He spent his entire life dedicated to being the most moral person he could be, Learning the, most, learning the most biblical knowledge he could have, coming from a good family. He had all of that. He had everything. If you're thinking about, you know, if you kind of translate it to modern day, it would be the person that you look up to and say, that person has everything, man. That was Paul. He had everything at the time. But here's where Paul takes it a step further, and he basically flips the whole thing. He says, so I've told you everything that I have. I told you how awesome my life is. I told you everything that I've gained, all the biblical knowledge I have, all of the morality that I have, everything that I have. But look in verse 7. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Everything that Paul just mentioned, all the stuff that he just talked about, how awesome all the stuff he had, is loss because of Christ. Every single thing that he had meant nothing now because Christ is so much better than everything else. In verse 8, he he keeps going. He's basically reiterating himself here. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through the faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. He considers everything garbage. I want you to understand the the gravity of what Paul is saying here, because you may miss it. A list of all those things we just talked about, coming from a good family, living a great moral life, having a lot of biblical knowledge, being the best person you can possibly be, those aren't bad things, y'all. Those are good things. Paul's not saying coming from a good family is bad. Paul's not saying you shouldn't have biblical knowledge. That's not what he's saying. Those are all good things. But what's so interesting about this is all of those good things were still keeping Paul from knowing Christ. All of those good things were keeping Paul from knowing and having a relationship with Jesus. You may be thinking, you know, Jackson, I don't have a lot of that bad stuff in my life that's keeping me from God. Well, what are some good things that are keeping you from God? This was Paul. Paul was saying, look, I've got stuff after stuff that has happened to me that's not necessarily bad but it's keeping me from God because I don't have that relationship with Jesus that I had. And when I did, nothing else matters. This is huge because, and I don't want you to try to minimize this and I don't want to try to minimize this because this is a radically different Christianity than a lot of us are are learning and a lot of us are doing in churches all throughout the world right now. It's totally different. 
There are people right now all across the U.S. and all across the world that are sitting in church right now thinking that their life matters for something because they brought their kids to church. That's great. Don't get me wrong. That's awesome. But if those parents don't have that relationship, it doesn't matter. There are people all throughout the United States sitting in benches and chairs in churches just like us who are wearing nice fancy clothes, who has a nice fancy car in the parking lot, who has the perfect job and the perfect home that they can go home to and live in. But none of that matters, and they can't even fathom the fact that that doesn't matter unless you know Christ. Because here's what we do. We think for our life to count or our life to matter for something that we've got to build up these worldly possessions. We become kind of numb to the fact that we've got to have worldly possessions because that's what the world teaches us. When at the end of the day, as Paul's saying, all that junk is garbage. It doesn't matter. It doesn't go with you. Nothing in this world compares to Christ. Nothing in this world will get you to where you want to be in life except for that relationship with Christ. And I think as a society as a whole, we've become numb to that. We've become lulled to sleep by the pleasures of this world because we think it's going to make us happy. And it might for a little while until at the end of the day, we're sitting before God and he's saying, all that was cool, but I don't know you. I don't have a relationship with you. And that's when we realize all of our life that we spent building upon stuff after stuff after stuff doesn't matter. So here's the question that I want to ask you. Whether you are, um, you know, whether you're on staff here at Lake Point, whether you're a volunteer here, whether you've been here forever, whether you're a first-time guest, I don't care who you are. If you are in this room, there's a question I want to ask you, and that is, do you have a relationship with Jesus? That's a simple question. And I, I, I don't want the, it's a yes or no question, first of all. What I don't want the answer to that question is, well, you know, I, I prayed that prayer one time or I filled out the card and I checked the box that said, yes, I have a relationship. That's that. I don't care about that. What I care about is the question right now, yes or no, do you have a relationship with Christ? Because at the end of the day, the answer to that question is all that matters. And it's a yes or no question. It's not a yes, but, or a no, but. It is critical, critical to making our life count. That is the only way that my life will count for my wife, my kids, my family, people that I love, whatever. That is the only way to ensure that my life counts is the answer to that question. That's a difficult question. Sometimes it's a simple question, but it can be difficult. Because a lot of us, like I said, are programmed to having this idea that stuff is what matters. And our stuff, even if it's good stuff, keeps us from knowing God. And sometimes that's difficult to understand. It's not something that's going to happen overnight. Sometimes it won't. Sometimes it's a process. Look at verse um, 12. We're going to skip to verse 12 in Philippians 3. This is Paul again. Not that I have already obtained all of this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ has took hold of me. Look, Paul's even saying, look, I haven't even obtained all this yet. I haven't arrived at the goal, but I press on for the cause of Christ. 
uh, verse 13. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the, cri- to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. This is not easy. Paul is saying that, look, I know it's hard to give up your stuff. I know it's hard to put that good stuff as a back seat to Christ. I understand. I haven't even gotten that far yet. He says, I know what I need to do, but it's difficult. This should be an encouragement to you and I, because it's okay if we don't get it right away. It's okay if it's a process, because it's going to be. It's hard. It's hard to fully fathom and fully understand that just a relationship with Christ is all that matters when we have this world hanging over our heads that says we have to have a good job so we can pay all of our bills and we have to have nice clothes and fancy cars as a status symbol if we ever want to make it anywhere in life. And we have to sacrifice time with our family to work 100 hours a week so that way we can get promoted, right? Like that's what we're teaching people. And it's hard to deprogram your sort of brain to understand that that doesn't matter. It's not going to make you happy. It may make you happy in the moment, sure. But in that last verse, it talks about the goal, right? They're pressing on towards the goal. What's that ultimate goal? It's heaven. Your stuff will not get you to heaven. In fact, you can't even take your stuff with you. Your stuff will not gain you the ultimate goal with which you want. The ultimate goal is what will fully make you happy and make you find joy. That's what this is all about. That's what Philippians is all about, is how do we find that joy in Christ? It's hard. But Paul says you've got to keep pressing on no matter what happens, even if it, you know, even if your life is, is in a bad position right now, keep pressing on towards that goal. It's one that is, is, is to like be attained, right? You're probably never going to eventually make it all the way to where you want to be, but you've got to keep pressing on until you get to heaven. That's what life is about. And again, it's interesting. Remember Paul's perspective here. He's in prison and he's saying, you know what? I'm pressing on. You know what? I know that I'm in prison. You know what? But that's okay because, God, I know that I have that joy. I have that joy from you, and I know that eventually you're going to make it okay for me. I know eventually, as long as I continue on the path I'm going, I'm going to end up with ultimate joy in heaven. And that's what I think we lose sight of a lot of times is, you know what? I might not be happy in the moment, but if I keep pressing on to the way I'm going, I will have that eternal and ultimate joy that is in heaven when I get there. That is the the bulk of what Paul is talking about here. Now, I want to... um, I want to have an honest conversation with you all really quickly, and uh, I promise it won't take too long, or it might. I don't know. I can't really guarantee that. Um, I don't really have control over what I do most of the time. But listen, there is a... There is this idea that's being popularized in modern culture today that, that your feelings and, and what your heart says is truth. That what your feelings, that, that, that the feelings that you feel 
is your ultimate truth and that that is all that matters. That whatever it is that, that you feel like you should do, then you should just go ahead and do it. Yo, do we realize how scary of a thought that is? Do we realize how sort of like, how, how big that could be and how awful that could be if all of a sudden everybody just decided, you know what, I feel this way, that's what's right for me, I'm going to go ahead and do it. And there's this idea in popular culture that not only should you do it, you shouldn't fight your feelings. That if you're fighting your feelings, you're somehow sort of going against who you are as a person and you're going against your nature. And how dare you not be who you are? How dare you not be yourself? That is scary. Because eventually what happens is we begin to think about this more and more and more. And then I continue to have these repetitive feelings over and over and over. And I'm like, you know what? Maybe these aren't just my feelings. Maybe this is who I am as a person. Maybe these feelings that I'm feeling are, are who I am, and I'm not who God says I am. I'm, I'm this person because this is what I continue to feel over and over. So I think I'm going to go ahead and act on those feelings now because I continue to have them. So I, who, why would I go against what, what I'm supposed to be? I'm just going to go ahead and do it. Now, I'll, I'll be the first to admit, like, doing what I feel eh, doesn't sound too bad, right? That sounds pretty fun. I think I could have some fun with that. Sure, it would probably make me happy for a little bit of time. Until you step back as a logical person and realize that the whole construct or like the whole idea of our society is to prevent people from doing what they feel. Like entire governments are set up, police forces are set up, so that way we don't just do whatever we feel like because it would be chaos. It's like, what's that movie, The Purge, where they just go out and like do whatever they want for like 12 hours or whatever? That's what it would be like. That's why that doesn't happen. So this idea that we take of doing whatever we want, whenever we want it, and whoever we want to do it with sounds good until we step back and realize, whoa, hold on. That is scary. That is a scary, scary notion. That is a scary, scary idea. Can you imagine if everyone in the world decided that they were just going to go by their gut instincts and feelings and said, that's what's going to make me happy. I'm going to go do it. Chaos would ensue. I, I guarantee you that. Watch one of those Purge movies. Actually, don't. They're pretty bad. But, you know, whatever. You get the point. Uh, you do the spark notes. Don't I have spark notes for that or something? Now, look, let, let, let me, I, I know this sounds totally irrelevant, and I'm way out here in left field. I promise I'm going to bring this back, I hope, anyway. Um, that's my goal. But, so, think about, think about how fundamentally flawed this idea is. Following your own feeling, following your heart, right? If you're not a Christ follower, following your heart, and, and, and just doing whatever your heart feels is right. I don't know about you, but my heart's let me down a bunch of times in my life. My gut instinct has let me down a bunch of times in my life. Even uh, somewhere in, the, in, in uh, Jeremiah, somewhere, it says, um, I don't remember the exact uh, verse or whatever, but somewhere in Jeremiah, it says that the heart is wicked and deceitful. Who can know it? The answer is not you or me. It's God. He's the only one who can know what's going on in your heart. It's wicked and deceitful. Yes, so many of us say, ah, 
I feel in my heart that's what I'm supposed to do. Is it? This whole idea of doing something that your heart says is flawed. And here's, let me, let me tell you what I believe. I believe that what it does is it causes you to rely on your instincts instead of relying on what God says. Because you're too busy worrying about what you feel to really take into account what God wants you to do. Because see, I can sit here and say that doing something will make me happy when God says, no, 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 no. You, that may make you happy now, but I have a plan for you that I promise you is going to make you happy for eternity. But yet, because I'm too busy worrying about myself and how I feel, I'm going to go do that thing anyway. It causes us to, to, to stop relying on that communication with God and those feelings we get from God. And basically, it makes us rely on ourselves. It gets rid of everything that we ever learned about God. Because we're too busy worrying about what's going to make us happy in the moment. You know, I don't know about you, but I've never met anybody, and I've been out and about quite a bit and met a lot of people. I've never met anybody who said, yeah, you know, like 25 years ago, I've just decided to give in to what my heart says and my feelings, and I do anything that I want to do whenever my heart and my feelings say I want to do it. And for the past 25 years, my life has just steadily gone like this, up and up and up. No. No, I've never met anybody like that. The people that I meet instead are the people who said, yeah, I've just been kind of living my own life. You know, this whole God thing's not for me. I don't believe in that. I believe in making myself happy. Well, at the end of the day, you look at them and their life has just gone like this. And then they're sitting there with a wasted life. They're sitting there and all of the stuff that they thought was making them happy in the moment, as Paul says, is garbage. Because they didn't find that joy that Christ had. They didn't find that joy that Paul said you can get from Christ. They didn't have that joy, that end goal of getting to heaven. And now they realized, man, my feelings were wrong. Man, doing what I wanted was great in the moment, but now look at me. And it may seem like you know what you want, but I promise you, you don't. I promise you God does. And really, we can only hope that what we want and what God wants for us will sometimes align, and that is exactly where we want to be. When what we want and what God wants aligns together, we are in this perfect harmony and peace with him, and that's where you want to be. You don't want to be doing whatever you want to do because most of the time God is saying, hey, I don't want you to do that. And then we end up with our lives going downhill like this. I, I promise I'm almost done. So I, I, I don't know about you. I don't want to be that person 50, 60 years from now that is in a big house by myself, thousands of dollars worth of stuff around me. My kids hate me. My grandkids don't even know who I am. But hey, I lived it up. Makes for a great hashtag, not, not necessarily for a good life, Right? I don't want to be that person. I don't want to be that person who is alone because I did whatever made me happy and didn't take into account, for one, anybody else, or two, what God wanted for my life. I don't want that to be me. And I don't know many people who want that to be them. But yet, 
we're living our lives that way. Because we don't have that joy that God gives us. Because we're too busy worrying about our stuff. And again, it's not always bad stuff. I don't want you to think that you, you, if you don't have any bad stuff in your life, that, that you're, you're, you're like immune, I guess, from, from not following God. Good stuff can get in your way too, just like Paul. So as we start to kind of close here in a minute, I, I just want you to begin to think about that. What, what is it that is keeping you from that joy that Paul talks about? What is it, what, what stuff or what relationship maybe or what, um, you know, this idea, what belief system is keeping you from having that eternal joy? From having that knowing that, that you know, Christ is everything in this life. Get rid of the garbage. But here's the key. In order to get rid of the garbage that Paul talks about, you have to identify it. Because you can't just say, God, please take all of this stuff away from me. I don't want it. All I want is you. You've got to identify what it is that is keeping you from point A to point B. And that's not as easy as it looks. And just like we talked about, Paul wasn't even there yet. Paul said, look, I, I, I haven't obtained it yet but I'm getting there. 